Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Package Tourist, hosted by yours truly, The Package Tourist and the Magical Mystery Tour called Life, Matthew DBIs. Tonight, we're in for a special treat. My guest is Darren Hayes. Darren is the producer and host of his magnificent podcast, Pigskin Dispatch. I have been honored to appear as a guest on his show numerous times, and tonight I finally get to repay the numerous favors he has shown me by having him appear as a guest on my show. Darren has lived in Western Pennsylvania all his life. He has loved football, first as a player in high school and then as an official for 25 years and now as a podcaster and author. Last month, Darren released his first book, The World's Greatest Pro Gridiron Team, The 1903 Franklin All-Stars, an entertaining account of the salad days of pro football in America as seen through the deeds of one of its greatest teams. Darren, welcome to the show. It's been a long time coming. Um, I'd like to start off by asking you, Darren, why did you choose the 1903 Franklin All-Stars for your very first book? Well, first of all, Matthew, thank you for the invite. It's, a, it's quite an honor to, to be on your, your show. And I chose the Franklin All-Stars in 1903 for multiple reasons. Uh, first of all, uh, the city of Franklin, Pennsylvania, I live in Erie. It's within 50 miles of where I live. And when I officiated, I officiated... Uh, quite a few games that Franklin played in and some at their venue in that, in that fine town as well. And so it's, it sort of hit me that way. Uh, I first read about them from a PFRA uh, Coffin Corner article from the 1980s, uh, just a few years ago. And when I saw the name Franklin, Pennsylvania, that immediately made my ears perk up and uh, take a, a little bit more heed to it. And as I dug it more into the story, through some old newspapers and everything, I said, boy, I said, I, I am just the guy that's got to write about this team because most people, even from Franklin to this day, had no idea they had a professional football team. Okay, Darren, when was the team founded? Who founded it? And why did this person found the team? Well, it wasn't really founded by one particular person. They started off like other uh, Western Pennsylvania cities, in professional football playing as club teams and they had a local club called the nursery club uh it's got its name because they were a literary club you know imagine that being on a package tourist we talk about a literary club <laughs> but in the in the late 19th century and they were their moniker was that they were a nursery of young men's minds from the literary club so it was a nursery club uh franklin pennsylvania as well as Oil City, who is their rival city, they are right on the banks of the, the Oil River. And that is where Edwin Drake founded the first commercial oil well about 20, 30 years prior to this 1903 team. So extreme wealth in Franklin and Oil City. And that's what sort of spawned uh, them going up through the ranks of amateur teams in the late 19th century, 1890s. And right around the turn of the last century, started to play a little bit more professionally because there was a lot of money involved and where there was money and athletic activity and civic rivalry, there was gambling. So that's all sort of went hand in hand and that sort of brought the team about. But this 1903 team, the architect was a young uh, clothing salesman in Franklin named um, uh, David Prince. And Dave Prince had a couple financial backers of General Charles Miller, who was a wealthy oil man, and his brother-in-law, also really wealthy, uh, Joseph Sibley. So those are the three main principles that uh, brought the team together. 
Okay. Now the team is called the All-Stars. Can you please name some of the great players who played on this 1903 team? And how many men did they have on their roster? Well, they had uh, at any one time they had about twelve players on the roster. Wow! Some players came came and gone and went uh, during that, so they had very little substitution. But uh, this was truly an all-star team back in 1903. This was a who's who of who's playing football professionally. Uh, you had men like Herman Kirkoff, who played on multiple professional teams, including later he played. Uh, uh, in the Maslin, uh, Tigers, Canton, Bulldogs rivalry. Uh, prior to that, he played for the Pittsburgh Stars in 1902, which were members of the original National Football League in 1902. Uh, Lynn Pop Sweet, who was probably the greatest center of his time, he uh, was a former Penn State player, uh, played for the Philadelphia Athletics of the original NFL in 1902. Uh, Tiger McFarland. Uh, Blondie Wallace might be the most famous name that played on this team. He, of course, was probably uh, he was, he was the Penn Quakers captain in college, ended up uh, playing for Franklin and the Philadelphia Athletics professionally, ended up uh, being the Canton Bulldogs uh, team captain during that 1906 uh, scandal that sort of postponed professional football for a few years in that, that, that game. Uh, John Hayden, who was a great baseball player at the time, played with the Philadelphia Athletics under Connie Mack. Uh, and on their football team, well, he was the quarterback of this Franklin team. And eventually, near the end of the season, they got probably the most famous player of that time, and that was Ben Doc Roller, uh, who uh, might be one of the most early football experts say he's probably one of the best. Uh, another player, Curly Davidson, known as Bull Davidson, uh, was on that team as well. And, but their captain and a guy that came on in 1901 and played for three seasons was John Tech Matthews, who was a former W&J star uh, in his college days. Okay, when we talk about professionals, okay, what were their salaries? I mean, who what, what, they were all paid the same rate, or, or who, who was the highest paid player on that team? Can you give us an example of some of their salaries? Well, it doesn't, it's really not clear in all my research. I couldn't find where they exactly what players were paid, but we do know this. We, we know that back in the early 1890s, 1892, Hutch Heffelfingers played $500, which was really high uh, for the next 30 years. That was a really exceptional salary yeah. for one game. And we, we know that in the early NFL, the 1920s, players were paid between 250 to 400 a game. So I'm estimating they were probably paid between $75 and $200 a game, probably a vary between the players because there were some players of higher stature than others. And uh, I, I think that's right about where it was. But remember, this team was pretty much intact for all 12 games that they played in the 1903 season. Okay. Did the, All -Star, did the Franklin All-Stars have a head coach? Well, Tech Matthews, the player I spoke about earlier, he acted as their player coach. Okay. And he ended up having an illness, uh, actually the last two seasons he played Franklin, and he was not able to play in their final two games, which were up at Madison Square Garden. So he was replaced by Ben Roller and uh, as on the roster, and Blondie Wallace took over as coaching uh, for those final two games. Okay, now, your book has described that the All-Stars had an incredibly powerful offense that kind of ranked with some of the great college programs of the early 1900s, like Michigan's point-a-minute teams. 
Can you tell our listeners how exactly did they play offensive football? What were their formations? What tactics and styles did they emphasize? Can you enlighten us on that? Yeah, remember, football was a much different game. This was three years before the forward pass was legalized. Okay. So this was a lot of running, a lot of running up the middle. They, they called that you ran A gaps a lot, which were at that time called line bucks. Uh, which we have uh, one of our friends, uh, Timothy P. Brown of footballarchaeology.com comes on in the book and explains what a line buck is. And maybe maybe this is a good time to, to tell the listeners, we, we are a little bit unique, even in our, our paper copies of the book, we sort of hybrid it into the ebook world. We have QR codes where you can go in and listen to different podcasts or different audio or even some video of some things that tell the rest of the story. Where, where the book is focused on the Franklin team and their season, but we'll tell you what a line buck is with an expert like Timothy T. Brown, or Joe Ziemba will tell us about Herman Kirkhoff, uh, and uh, you know, Football Learning Academy's Ken Crippen tells us about some Syracuse teams. So we have a lot of that going on in there as well. But getting back to your question on the offense, there's a lot of line bucks, there were some sweeps, but they had interesting formations uh, if you remember back in early football, they had the tackle backs formation. So it was not uncommon. And there were some games where the leading rusher was one of the offensive tackles. Herman Kirkhoff and Jack Lang ran the ball quite a bit. And those were the tackles. Those were the big guys running the ball. Uh, ben Roller sometimes would run the ball uh, from the offensive line position. So, but also the running backs were Tech Matthews was a running back. Curly Davidson was a fullback. He ran Twister Steinberg, another halfback, would run the ball. And Jack Hayden himself would do run a lot of sweeps. Now, also, if I recall correctly, there was also a greater emphasis on kicking since there's no forward passing. How good was Franklin's, uh, the All-Stars kicking game? Did, were they good at drop kicking in those days? Well, they were, they were good at drop kicking. Uh, you know, John Hayden, Jack Hayden was uh, the main kicker during the regular season. Uh, Curly Davidson took over that uh, later in the year, so they sort of shared the duties. But the punting game was probably the biggest weapon of early football in that case. Remember, there's only three downs to go 10 yards in 1903. Yeah. And they also had the crazy rules with the, the grid pattern on the field, the five-yard grids uh, for s some certain uh, penalty enforcements. So. You would uh, punt if you were inside your own 20 on first down. You would usually punt the ball because there was a, it was a free uh, kick on, or not a free kick. It was uh, uh, almost like a kickoff today where anybody can recover a loose ball on the punt. Yeah. So that was a common play to try to gain some yardage and maybe even gain possession uh, on the punts. Now, were all of Franklin, the Franklin All-Stars' All opponents in Western Pennsylvania, or would they go out of state to, t to play a game? Well, they, they, their teams that they played were from the tri-state area. Okay. Franklin is not far from the Ohio line. Uh, they're probably within 70 miles of the West Virginia line, probably about 70 miles from the New York line. So there was a lot of Pennsylvania clubs. Uh, there was two or three Ohio clubs, and... I think three or four uh, New York clubs, and they even played a, a team from New Jersey. Okay, so they were putting the railroads to good use then, is that correct? Yes, and actually General Charles, Charles Miller, uh, who was one of the financiers of the team, he was uh, very involved in the railways. He actually controlled a good portion of the railways between New York City and Pittsburgh that ran nearby Franklin, and uh, he also, 
sold the lubricants to the railroads, and that's how he made a lot of his money on the uh, the, the uh, locomotive oils. And so he had a lot of pull in, in those uh, travel things and got, got some good breaks for his teams, as well as he owned some hotels in the town of Franklin to put opposing teams up and his own players up. Of all their opponents, who were the all during that season? Who were the All Stars' toughest opponent or opponents? Well, the the team was made to play Oil City, which mm-hmm. was nine miles away, another very wealthy oil town. Yeah. In nineteen oh two, the Oil City team pulled a fast one, ended up bringing uh, the Philadelphia Athletics NFL team to play them on the second game they played in three days. Uh, they played Thanksgiving Day and then the Saturday after Thanksgiving Day. The original NFL championship game was played in Pittsburgh on that, what we would call Black Friday. So they, after tying the game on Thanksgiving Day, the Oil City in 1902 went down, hired the entire Philadelphia Athletics team, and they had a whole different roster uh, two days later, and they beat Franklin. Franklin people lost a lot of money, especially General Charles Miller. He got a little bit miffed, told the uh, Dave Prince to his manager to go out and hire the best team he possibly could to beat Oil City. They never did play Oil City in 1903. Oil City backed down uh, for for obvious reasons. They didn't <laughs> want to lose to to the rival. Uh, but pro- the toughest team they played all year was probably the the next best team in the country, and they played them in the championship game at the second World Series of football, uh, the Watertown Red and Black. Ooh, wow. okay. Now, was Franklin a member of any sort of a league? I mean, were they a part of a league? Well, there really wasn't leagues then. The That original NFL was sort of the first attempt to try to organize football, but it was only a three-team league. It was based, you know, it was Major League Baseball just had spinoffs going into football. They saw that football might be profitable. So it really, you were really scheduled games, sometimes just a, a day or two before you actually played them. And Franklin had the unique uh, advantage of having money. And teams, what the common thing was that the, the visiting team would have all of their expenses paid, and including travel, feeding the team, putting them up if they had to, and travel back. And so you would get a certain percentage of the gate or a, a flat fee. The most teams, and in fact, nobody asked Franklin to come and play them. Their first 10 games were all played at Athletic Field in Franklin, Pennsylvania, for that reason, because Franklin had the funds to do it, and nobody wanted to pay for Franklin to come and play them and lose money and lose a game. So the only two away games they played were at Madison Square Garden in the World Series of Football. Wow. Now, Darren, while you were researching this book, did you uncover any surprises that you'd like to share with our listeners? Anything that really surprised you when you when you discovered the information? Well, the first thing is is the dominance of, of Franklin. Um, you know, I, I knew going into the research that they were undefeated and they were unscored upon, which was pretty you know amazing in, in itself. You know, nobody's scoring on a team. Well, then I, I got to look at it a little bit closer, and after doing some research on it. Only two teams crossed midfield against Franklin all year long, and neither one of them were offensive plays that they did. It was when Franklin fumbled the ball on their side of the field, the other team recovered. And I believe on both times, uh, both occasions, one time Franklin forced a fumble on the other side and recovered it back, got the ball back, and the other time they sacked the other team, took them back behind midfield. 
So that, that was amazing in itself. The other thing is, you know, that was so defensively extremely dominant. Offensively, this team, when, when I calculated it out to see how many minutes they played, because they played their halves varied because of there was no artificial lighting. They had to play everything during the day. Darkness would end, make the second half much uh, time, many times shorter than the first half. But they, the newspaper would tell you exactly how long each half was, and I know how many points they scored. Well, they were a true point-a-minute team. Wow. Touchdowns were worth only five points, and they scored 462 points in uh, 477 minutes, which is .969 points per minute. The, the famed point-a-minute team of Michigan in that same era scored on average 0.71 points per minute. Wow. That's, that's incredible, man. If you, if you take touchdowns worth six points like they are today, they were well over a point a minute. Abs- wow, that's fantastic. I mean, especially in the pro era. I mean, that's incredible. Darren, uh, a question, I didn't come up with this question when I was thinking, but it just occurred to me now. Has the town of Franklin done any type of historical preservation to preserve the memory of this team, any type of markers or any type of awareness right now in the, of the town in Franklin in Pennsylvania? Very few people know about this team and, and their accomplishments, what they did, uh, especially for people in Franklin. Now, the Venango Historical Society, uh, which is in the town of Franklin, they had a lot of information. That's where I did a lot of research. They have... Uh, the only known team picture of that 1903 team, which is I, I probably display on the cover of the book and inside the book, they have that. So they, they have a little bit of awareness, but most people have no idea about it. And that's hopefully one of the things that this book will do is bring some civic pride 120 years later to the town of Franklin and uh, let them have some awareness of it. Darren, uh, whenever I interview an author on my show, I always love to ask the standard question. When you were growing up, who were your favorite authors? And of those favorite authors, did any of them light the spark inside of you to become an author? Well, I, I can't say that any of them spark. I, I read, and this is probably not the, the thing that the literary people want to hear. I read a lot of comic books when I was a kid. You know, I, I, loved, so I loved comic books. I loved DC and Marvel. You know, Stan Lee's uh, works, I think, were amazing. But I also enjoyed reading the Hardy Boys books, which were you know, under the name of Frank Dixon, but we know now it was multiple authors that uh, wrote the books, but I, I enjoyed those when I was a youngster. Uh, but I really uh, got into liking nonfiction more so probably in the last 15 years, reading a lot of sports history books, including yours, Matthew, and uh, Thank you. You know, some, some other people that I've, I've got to, to know over the years from doing podcasts and interviewing them with Joe Ziemba and Chris Willis and Joe Eisen, John Eisenberg and uh, you know folks like that to really spark my interest and in, uh, you know, getting to talk to, to you folks. It made me, and you tell a story and pay homage to these athletes from sometimes, you know, over a hundred years ago and sometimes more modern. And it's just a, an exciting thing to, to relive these moments and, and, uh, you know, tell a story of these people. So I wanted to be a part of that too. And po- the podcast and the website, uh, Pigskin Dispatch, I try to tell a story, but want to do it a little bit different in a, another form of medium and uh, tell a story in a book. Darren, welcome to the club of, of, of football authors. Okay, welcome. Welcome. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Darren, please tell our listeners, where can readers find this book? Where can they buy it, please? 
Well, one of the easiest things to remember is it's on Amazon, but if you, you don't remember my name, Darren Hayes, or the, the book's title, The World's Greatest Pro Football Team, the 1903 Franklin All-Stars. You can also go to pigskindispatch.com. We have some links right on the front page that will tell you a little bit more about the book and take you to the links to Amazon to purchase it. Let's talk about your magnificent podcast. How long has Pigskin Dispatch been on the air, Darren? Well, the podcast we started in 1920, it was sort of a, a COVID variation of the website. Uh, the website's been around uh, maybe about a year earlier than that. And you know, Pigskin Dispatch is the name of both of them, pigskindispatch.com. And you know, we love telling the story of football. You know, it sort of started from my officiating days. I wrote some pieces for some online uh, officiating uh, sites. Uh, then the 19, or I'm sorry, the 2008.com crash sort of took those sites away. I had these articles. Uh, one of my assignments was writing on football rules history. So I had a lot of these articles on history, and that .com sort of took that those two websites away. They don't exist anymore, so my articles didn't exist anymore. So that was the first thing I did is I just housed some of my old articles to to put them up online, and it became popular and started getting guests. And uh, I got talked into doing a podcast and. Here we are today. How often do you uh, podcast, Darren? Well, for the first three and a half years, we podcasted a podcast every single day of the year. Wow, I would, I had, uh, I believe, over 400 podcasts each year for the first couple years. Uh, we we nailed that back a little bit. It was right around 365 on, on the third year, and now we're doing them two to three times a week. Uh, we're, we're putting, you know, some interest. We subsequently started another website, jerseydispatch.com, which covers the four major North American sports, uh, talking about the athletes through their jersey numbers, uh, you know, the identifying mark of that. So we get to talk about it. I know we spoke with you on, on that as well, talking about some of your hockey books on there. Yeah. Um, and we do a subsequent podcast with that, not as often as Pigskin Dispatch. And, uh, you know, we've, we've gone into some of these other mediums, you know, writing books, uh, we're going to have a little bit more YouTube presence coming up in the, the coming year here and uh, some more books in the works. What online platform do you use for Pigskin Dispatch? Uh, which, which, which one do you use? Uh, we use Captivate. Okay. Uh, I'm a member of the Sports History Network, uh, Arnie Chapman's group. I was one of the original members of that. We're, it's, uh, start with, started with like four of us is now I think over 35 uh, different podcasters uh, bringing their sports history podcasts to light and most of us use captivate okay darren uh what do you have any idea what your next book project might be and what, what's the topic and when can we expect its release well i am hoping that by summertime of 2024 i have a book that's i've been working on on uh, andy smith the coach of the cal wonder teams Ooh, wow. another western pennsylvania uh, guy. He's from Dubois, Pennsylvania, which is also not far from me, a little bit further than Franklin. And uh, so, you know, it just caught my eye because he played at Penn State and then played for the Penn Quakers uh, with the success, coached at both of those schools, and then ended up going out west and was a national champion four years in a row in the early 1920s. Yes. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you're a college football fan, pay attention to this, this upcoming book because he, Andy Smith was featured in my third book, uh, Lords of the Gridiron, College Football's Greatest Coaches. He, he was one of my top 50 there. I mean, he literally 
brought American college football attention to the West Coast during the early 1920s. So keep your eyes out for that book. I, I know it's going to be a great one. Yeah, it's a great, great story. And uh, it has some very interesting aspects to it. And so I'm excited to, to learn more about him as I do the research and tell the story of Andy Smith. Darren, I want to thank you so much for appearing on the show. And may you and your family have a, ma a wonderful Christmas and good luck with the book. Well, thank you, Matthew. And may you and your family and the audience also have a very blessed Christmas and a happy new year. You take care, Darren. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Okay, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Stay tuned for next week's show, where we'll be featuring baseball author Sack Ford. Thank you, and good night.